campers? Yes, it's Chappie here. How are you doing? How are you this fine Saturday? This melty, no snow Saturday. Well, there was actually a couple of sprinkles, but it's uh, defrosting, it's melting. Um, it's all those sort of doozy puddles that you get. Remember the fella in Groundhog Day? who was uh, every morning uh, bumping into Bill Murray and uh, Ned Rice, and that's it. And he ended up stepping in a puddle. I mean, he didn't even have any Wellington boots or galoshes, as they call over here. So I, I never knew this before, but one of my old bosses back in the day, uh, when I was training to be a butler, when I, when I first, uh, one of my first placements in America, um... He used to have these uh, rubber things that he used to put over his uh, tasseled loafers. So I've never really seen tasseled loafers as well. I thought it's something that a court jester might wear. But he used to have these rubber things. It almost looked like um, a shoe condom, basically. And um, he, he put them over, his, uh, over his, his, his dress shoes. So none of the ice and snow in the winter um, used to seep in. I think it's a fantastic idea. If you're wearing dress shoes, that is. If you, if you don't want to ruin the leather, darlings, then maybe the gloss is what you really, really need in those uh, in those instances. But this is Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. It's chappy. Uh, I'm a British butler. I'm at your service for the next hour or so. And uh, it, it's rather lovely to be here. I, I'm actually um, I'm surviving on one fairly small piece of uh, toast um, buttered with a little bit of marmalade. That's all I've had to eat today. So limited calories. I'm trying to be to see what a hangry butler sounds like on a podcast. I know I did one of these before when I was waiting for pizza, uh, but this is more deliberate. I mean, this is like stirring the senses. This is like an ice cold bath. Um, you know, it, I found this earlier actually. So stepping out in the snow in my uh, slippers, furry on the insides. Uh, smooth on the outside, a little bit like that um, face mask from last week, I suppose. And anyway, so the snow seeped in at the back because I had the the back pressed down, uh, similar to my dear father. Actually, they always say that you sort of turn into your old man as uh, as time progresses, and maybe I am indeed, you know. Um, but I still won't do the thick cut bitter marmalade. I need a golden thread. I more I need a more elegant marmalade to be honest. Um, and uh, anyway, so the snow seeped into the slippers. And do you know how invigorating that is? It really does stir the senses, stir the loins. It wakes one up. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, I, I, I feel much more awake now uh, and ready for Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese episode 65. Um, I, I, you know, this morning I woke up groggy, foggy. This is why I'm getting to you later today. So the podcast will be released a little bit later today because I was so groggy. I, I was talking to my uh, my mother and my sister, my dear sister, and um, I couldn't get I couldn't get going this one. I actually fell back, back fell back asleep, you know, and, and, and you know, much to the many people's chagrin, I, I do not sleep with cucumbers on my eyelids. You know, I, I do have I do have baggy eyelids. Um, but uh, I do not need the cucumbers on them. I mean, I mean, it's something that I could probably consider, but um, 
I don't know, does it get rid of bags under the eyes? It may, it may well do. So anyway, on the show today, uh, I know we, we sort of discussed uh, runny yolks a little bit yesterday. So why do Americans not like the runny yolk? What's wrong with the runny yolk? The runny yolk is the nectar of the gods. It, it's, it's like pouring uh, melted gold into a goblet and sipping it. I mean, that's, that's a yolk in my mind, the runny yolk. Uh, but why don't they like uh, the runny yolk? Um, so trying to record the podcast today on an empty stomach. Um, I also um, introducing you to, I found a way to double or triple spread the butter. We'll be looking into that later on as well. Uh, and I also do like the new analogy or metaphor, um, like Christmas uh, with presents taken away and therefore Christmas being over. I do like that metaphor. The idea that you're expecting something and you're looking forward to it. It comes, it arrives, it comes, and, and then all of a sudden it's taken away from you. And it's like getting one Christmas present, Christmas being over at that point as well. Anyway, nice metaphor. Um, also, the Queen took the jab. Uh, as I as I mentioned yesterday, uh, we'll be looking at that a little bit uh, a little bit later on as well. Um, also, uh, I feel like a teenager again. Um, you know the reason for that. I will uh, let you know and enlighten you a little bit later. And it seriously, will lighten the load of all your expectations. I'm sure. Um, also, we never talked about the baby playpen for the corgi, the breakfast bed, um, the fly spray that doesn't work. And also the love of the burger. You know, so many love the burger. I'm not so keen on the burger, you know, without a doubt. Um, but I do like uh, the runny yolk. So not the burger, but I do like the runny yolk. Also, the, the random smell of cream of celery soup after, uh, after acupuncture. What does that even mean? Does, do corgis have uh, deer butts? You know, why can't I have a Wi-Fi tea kettle that can start from the bed? I mean, that's the ideal, having a Wi-Fi tea kettle that you can start from your phone and then, you know, having some sort of dumb waiter to, uh, to uh, lift it up to you to the bedside. I know you can get tea sets and everything else. So we're having that. We're going to be having a uh, historical tender and, some, uh, and also some lovely trumple trombone on the podcast today. So the beachcomber from Cornwall loses his mind to the Royal Navy killjoys. It was a perfect footstool turned coffee table for the Shiver Me Timbers salvage yard. Its beachcombing finder even had plans to turn it into a stove. The only problem was that the Royal Navy wanted its explosive device back. A dedicated beachcomber from Cornwall has told how his dream of owning a mine was dashed when the Navy came to reclaim the device, which had become unearthed from the seabed during the training exercise near Plymouth. After finding the mine near his home in Penzance, Joe Gray called the Coast Guard to make sure that it was a non-explosive before being given all the care to drag it back to his salvage and reclamation yard. He was allowed to keep his find by the receiver of the wreck, the official whose administrator law dealing with the maritime records and salvage. It's been on the hunt. He's been on the hunt for a mine for a while. As soon as I heard a mine had been washed up, I was so excited I dropped what I was doing and came running. It uh, isn't to everybody's taste. When I saw it, I couldn't believe my eyes. It was thrilling to find something that looked so striking. Gray, a lover of all things weird and wonderful, thought it would make a perfect centerpiece for his collection of objects. For two weeks, he used the mine as a footstool and a coffee table, and also considered turning it into a stove. 
Is this guy bloody crazy? His dreams were dashed, however, when the Royal Navy visited him on Tuesday morning to reclaim it. I'll just have to hope that another one washes up. I'm disappointed, but not really surprised that they wanted it back. It's so sad that he took it, that they took it back. But uh, as long as it doesn't end up in a scrap heap, then I'm happy. I mean, it's almost like a love labor's lost type of thing. I mean, did he sleep next to the uh, the mine? Did he pet the mine? I mean, you're not a, you don't get the mine too excited whilst petting it because it might blow up. It might explode, and then using it as an oven is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, who would use a mine as an oven? Anyway, I guess it's a case of dropping a bomb on him, literally. So, mammoth tasks. Scientists extract the oldest DNA yet. Around 1.5 million years ago, on the cold steppes of Siberia, a mammoth died. It lay in the ground as its species died out and the human race rose. Now a team of those humans has looked into its teeth and from them extracted the oldest DNA sequence. The findings part of a new analysis of three different mammoth teeth published in the journal Nature smashed the record for the recovery of ancient DNA and also tells us a lot more about the evolution of the species. Although only a partial genome was uh, pieced together, the scientists said that the three samples, the most recent was about 700,000 years old, showed that the mammoth had a more complex ancestry than previously thought. The oldest is not related to the woolly mammoth, which went extinct just a few thousand years ago, but just a part branch that would, uh, which would become the species to become known as the Columbian mammoth seen in North America. Although the Arctic permafrost helped preserve the teeth, the DNA uh, was also degraded and had to be pieced together from numerous fragments. The DNA is incredibly old, said Professor Dalian of evolutionary genetics at the Center of Paleontologists. The samples predate the existence of humans and Neanderthals. So, I mean, thinking about the teeth, though. So, I mean, if anybody extracted Champy, you know, let's say in a million years' time. Now, my teeth, uh, you know, would not be... Uh, would not be the same type of genetic quality uh, and uh, rigid quality as, let's say, Jennifer Lawrence. So if you extracted the mammoth of Jennifer Lawrence versus the mammoth of Chappie, it might be a little bit different. My teeth are a little bit more gappy, you know, a little bit more British, um, you know, not as, not as good as, the, uh, as a film star, you know, as, as, as a Jennifer Lawrence's teeth, let's say. Um, so, I mean, it's the same. So you, you're extracting a Colombian mammoth. I mean, would a Colombian mammoth have better quality teeth than, let's say, a Hollywood mammoth? Probably not. I mean, I would imagine the Hollywood mammoth, and the real housewives of Mammoth County in California, um, I imagine the teeth of that uh, Mammoth County uh, mammoth would be pretty amazing. Lots of flossing, lots of whitening. Lots of braces. I mean, the mammoth probably had a brace at an early age. I mean, you can't... It's like comparing apples and oranges of a British mammoth's teeth to a Hollywood mammoth's teeth, let's say, or Colombian, whatever it may be. So, uh, talking to my mother today, mum and dad, um, love, love them to be featured on the podcast. They really do like being featured on the podcast. Said, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to us. Or it's more like... Wait, boy, yeah, that's lovely. That's uh, lovely, lovely being here, my name on podcast. E by gum. No, oh, whatever. So, anyway, so we're, we're talking about you know, topic of food. I mean, we always cover food in any of these conversations. I think I cover food when talking to anybody here. 
Um, but uh, talking about food, and my mother was telling me about how she's seen advertised this new Magnum ice, you know, Magnum. And we're not talking about, you know, we're not talking about birth control, you know. It's not nothing to do with that. It's about the ice cream. Not the birth control we're looking for. You know, none of that. It's the ice cream. But the Magnum ice cream, so the uh, the, the Magnum ice cream, the, the sea salt caramel Magnum ice cream is absolutely, uh, is absolutely, looks absolutely delicious. So let me see if I can, uh, all right, let me see if I can find, just just bear with me a second here. Yeah, just hold, just hold please. Just hold, hold, hold your horses. I'm nearly there. So we had the Magnum ice cream, the, the double sea salt caramel ice cream. Okay. And I'm just looking at one of the reviews is so amazing. Um, it was absolutely uh, okay. So this is one of the reviews on a grocery website. This ice cream is so mouthwatering. It feels almost sinful to eat it. It's almost going back to the rubber johnnies, the condoms again, isn't it? It sounds like it. But oh, the glorious deliciousness. I love the hard milk chocolate shell that you have to penetrate when you first open it. And then the creaminess of the ice cream, the sprinkled chocolate, and the salted caramel. So good. So that was a review. I mean, it, it, it sounds absolutely amazing here. Um... I mean, I have to try this now. I mean, I've been thinking... I was asleep for a while, but I think I've been thinking about that ice cream pretty much, pretty much all day. I mean, I've been thinking about everything. There are more important things in my mind. And, you know, some of the people listening will know exactly uh, whom I'm thinking of and what I'm thinking of. But this Magnum ice cream... Is is probably second place, down, You know, sorry, second place, not first place, second place. So anyway, the Magnum ice cream, this it, it seems absolutely fantastic. So I'm going to have to get some of this. And as, if anybody has tried it, then please send a note to Chappy Towers immediately. I need more reviews. Um, but also thinking about this, I, I mean, I'm talking to my um, mother, and as I said, I'm I'm, I'm really do. I'm living on just a piece of toast today. But it wasn't an ordinary piece of toast. I decided, because my dishwasher's broken. And do you, have you ever had the... It's almost like... I know this is first world problems, Chappie darling. But the... Whenever your dishwasher breaks, it, 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 you don't realise how lucky you have it. How lucky we have it in the Western world to have dishwashers. Because it's a pain in the ass. Because I'm one of these people that uses too many, too much cutlery, too many mugs, too many uh, saucepans. It's ridiculous. So when it breaks down and you're left having to do all of that, you start scaling back. You get the paper plates. You reuse things. You wipe things off quickly. You uh, leave things in the sink with some hot soapy water. Let it just, you know, ooze itself off. And then, you know, 
shake the water off and let it just air dry. I mean, the, the drying is almost as annoying as the as the washing. But the washing is an abomination. But anyway, so um, I, I decided I'd use the fork for something else, and I thought I don't want to use a knife. I don't want to mess up a knife. So I'm going to use the fork handle to spread the butter on my toast. And I tell you, what a revelation. I mean, you can double, triple spread the butter. I mean, we talked about this podcast before. The double, triple spreading is is an absolute delight. But you can do that. It's a deeper, uh, let me say, a deeper spreading experience when you use the, uh, the back of the knife, the handle of the knife, to spread the butter. But also, you know what it does? I mean, if, you, if you're waking up and you've got... Um, you know, if you want to be woken up or have the tingly fingers or anything like that, or arthritis, and you haven't gone and got the acupuncture yet, the prongs of the fork, whilst you're spreading, dig into the hand. I mean, it gives you, it gives you, releases all that sort of night pressure that you've built up. Not that much, but I mean, no, the, the, the pressure that's been built up over the course of the evening can be released from the, uh, fork acupuncture you get while spreading the butter on the toast. It's amazing. I tell you. It, it, it relieves all sorts of stress and strain. Just with those prongs going into the hand there, whilst you're going to have a really buttery, marmalady piece of toast. It's, uh, it's a marvel there, kids. It's an absolute marvel. Okay, so we have another little session of historical Tinder where we take a historical figure and, uh, you know, on Tinder, you swipe the right or swipe, swipe left, depending if you like them or hate them. Um, swipe right's good, swipe left. But it, back in medieval times and historical times, often, you know, there was a sort of Tinder, but it was the swinging of the axe to the left or the right. The guillotine. It, I mean, it could have been anything. It could have been the noose. Were you swinging from the right or left with the noose? But anyway, this is historical Tinder. So we look at some sort of fallen uh, historical figure, somebody who's pretty incompetent, pretty mediocre. And today we have Gideon Pillow. Armchair historians often generalized during the American Civil War, while the Union had held a clear advantage in the material, the Confederacy could fulfill superior commanders. That may have been true in the East, and the worst of the Union generals at theatre rates his own entry on that list. But in the West, it was a much different affair. Outstanding commanders such as uh, Thomas, Sheridan, and Sherman routinely bested their uh, Confederate, um, uh, Confederate uh, opponents. Um, but uh, Ulysses Grant made his Civil War debut at the Battle of Belmont against the Confederate General Gideon Pillow. Uh, Pillow, uh, Pillow did suffer uh, slightly more casualties than Grant in the engagement, which probably makes the Battle of Belmont the high point of Pillow's military career. In a war that saw that more than its share of unskilled politically appointed generals, Pillow was arguably the worst of either side in the Mexican-American War. Where he had uh, received an appointment to the rank of Major General from his uh, friend President Polk, after making a laughing stock of himself by ordering, met, ordering his men to entrench the wrong side of the fortifications at Camargo, Pillow bungled his role at the Battle of Cerro Gorda, making himself the low, low point of a astounding American victory. Not one to let his own failings stand in the way of personal glory, Pillow uh, submitted fanciful accounts of his actions at the Battle of Contreras and Chabrusco to various newspapers, including the wrath of the overall American commander, Winfield Scott. Uh, Pillow, uh, Pillow faced uh, court-martial for stealing a Mexican cannon and attempted to spirit it home in his own personal baggage. But Polk intervened to clear Pillow's record. 
Scott claimed that Pillar was the only person I've ever known who was wholly indifferent in the choice between truth uh, and fashion and falsehood. When talk of succession uh, reached Pillow's home in the state of Tennessee, he helped organize the state militia and was appointed a brigadier general in the Confederate Army. After the performance at Belmont, a spectacular success by Pillow's standards, he was tasked with the defense of Fort Donelson, a key strong point in the Mississippi River. Grant encircled the fort after his uh, initial attack drove back Grant's troops. Pillow snatched defeat from the jaws of victory by retreating to the fort rather than breaking through Union lines to Nashville. Pillow escaped during the night, leaving uh, Simon Butler to surrender the fort and 15,000 Confederate troops. The loss of Fort Donaldson opened the door to Kentucky and Tennessee to Union forces and marked the beginning to the end of the Confederate resistance to the West. I mean, this guy's so incompetent, it sounds like a little bit like Trump, to be honest. I mean, this fella here, I mean, he didn't uh, face, face a, a fate worse than death, so there's no swiping left with a sword or axe or anything, though. He didn't die in battle, so he wasn't a hero. He was just pretty competent, incompetent, really. Um, I mean, he didn't, he wasn't, uh, it didn't have, he wasn't like Emperor Nero and uh, had uh, had an interest in the ladies and any sort of uh, uh, notable amount of nookie or anything along those lines. It was a, really a case of him sort of skedaddling more than anything else. So he sort of ran away as a coward. It was more of uh, along these sort of lines, to be honest. So baffled Canadians spread reports of hard butter. There's something off about the butter in Canada that's left many flustered residents looking for answers. For weeks, Canadians have increasingly churned up the debate on social media with anecdotes about hard butter that falls and fails to spread easily as it once did. Something's up with the butter supply. A moot and a boot, chasing some butter. I mean, I can't do the Canadian place. Anyway... I'm about to get to the bottom of it, says cookbook author Julie Van Rossendal. She tweeted uh, earlier in the month. Have you noticed it's no longer soft at room temperature? While some respondents blamed cold winter temperatures for the alleged change in consistency, others felt that their suspicions were validated. Some food experts were linking butter to buttergate, to the increased presence of the palm oil derivative, a conclusion that's been dismissed by the dairy industry. For food researcher uh, Sylvain Chabois, uh, suspicions began last year. He, know, he noticed that differences in comparing an organic stick of butter to the regular one. Is it me, or is the butter much harder at room temperature? Uh, Charbois, senior director of the uh, Dalhousie um, University Agri-Food Analytics Lab. While he said that more testing is needed, Charbois dubbed the saga Buttergate. It's convinced that increased use of uh, palmitic acid, a byproduct of palm oil, that's commonly added to cow feed is the, cow, is the culprit. Van Rossendaal also pointed the finger at palm oil, writing in the piece for the Globe. Though it's perfectly legal for dairy farmers to use palm fat in livestock feed, uh, there should not be a continuous issue. Chabois surmised the mystery uh, acid could be worked in October when the British Columbia Milk Marketing Board posted a memo about the issues of non-foaming milk. That's when the alarm bells began to rang. Um, he's, he now connects a sudden spike in consumer butter demand to what he says is an increased use of palm oil fat in farms since the past summer. It's been used far more than a decade. Farmers regularly add that the palmitic acid to animal feed is an energy supplement that allows cow to produce more butter fat content. But between the slowdown 
measures and the boom in home cooking, the pandemic has now put pressure on dairy farmers. I mean, the key here, I mean, I don't like palm oil added to anything particularly, but the, the key is get, get yourself a butter dish, butter tray, and leave it out. You can leave it out. It's fine. It's not going to do any harm to you. Just leave the butter out, and then it, it spreads deliciously. Like I did with the back of the knife today, with the prongs in my hand. It was perfectly fine, and it doesn't matter. I mean, that's that's a solution. Now, if it tasted differently, that's a whole different story. But, you know, hard butter, either pop it in the microwave for 10 seconds, or just leave it in the butter dish, babes. So the Queen did uh, have her jab, and Prince Philip as well, and we all hope Prince Philip gets better uh, very, very soon. Um, but the Queen did have her jab, and she went on British television to talk about the jab, to like boost the popularity, give it a bit of good PR and everything else. Not that it needs any good PR, because it's absolutely fantastic scientific breakthrough. But, the, you know, the Queen... I actually felt nothing when I had the jab. It was absolutely fine. I just had the jab... And had a cup of tea afterwards. Me and Philip had the jab at the beginning of the year. And it was just fine. The British people should all go and have the jab right now. Anyway, something along those lines. That's, that's what basically happened. I mean, have the jab and then go and have a, a cup of tea. But I'm wondering if in the UK, if, um, if the southern softies you know, don't like the jab as much. But up north, where you know, I believe the kilts just lifted up, and uh, and they're and they're, and they're, and and they're prodded and jabbed in the ass, into the uh, red Barbarossa hairy ass, and uh, and that's and that's it. They are absolutely fantastic. That feels good. Just give it to me, will it? Give it, it. I mean, it's more of that sort of thing. And as the doctor runs in and jabs the Scotsman as the kilt's lifted up, I mean, it feels absolutely fine. I mean, we're probably a bunch of snowflakes in the, in the south, I would say. But uh, the Scots are, are taking it, um, you know, manfully and willfully in whatever area of, uh, every, area of the body they want it to be given. It's absolutely fine. And, you know, they brought, up, they brought, brought up tougher up north there, son. So, I mean, we've <laughs> we talked about the runny egg yesterday. And... You know, we surmise Meghan, Harry moving to the US. What were the reasoning? I did think it was a runny egg. But, you know, <clears throat> thinking about this deeper <clears throat> overnight, Americans don't use egg cups. I mean, how could you believe this? The beautiful porcelain simplicity of the egg cup. So how do they eat a dippy egg or runny egg? They don't like runny eggs, so they don't eat dippy eggs or runny eggs. So we interrupt your normal morning routine to bring, quite frankly, mind-blowing revelation from across the pond. Americans do not use egg cups. Seriously, egg cups. What would you do without the humble and meager yet porcelain creation and very useful creation? How else would one eat a dippy egg in perfect formation? Where do the soldiers go? It's absolute sacrilege. I mean, this is some of the things on Twitter. I've just been informed that Americans do not have egg cups. I'm so angry. It's almost as bad as when I found out that you don't all have kettles. Actually, what the F? Okay, all you people are asking me, is the egg cup, there's no egg cups, it better be an effing joke, I swear to God. Okay, all you people are asking me what an egg cup is, you must be joking. Where the hell do you put your eggs? Anyway, that's Twitter. The discovery that the US don't use egg cups, not egg cups, not egg cups in general, was made by the Scottish Games programmer on Twitter, and he shared his surprise. I've just been informed Americans do not have egg cups. I'm so angry. This is almost as bad as I found out you don't have kettles. 
Okay, all the people asking me what an egg cup is better be effing joking. I mean, where the hell do you put your eggs? You don't go 300 million years of evolution just to have an egg roll around on the effing plate. I mean, if you don't wash off the protective coating off them, you can't have eggs anyway. I mean, it's, it's, absolutely, uh, it's absolutely ridiculous. We're not even sure how to start. This whole situation is absurd. Thankfully, Americans were on hand to explain the situation, revealing that they don't actually don't tend to have dippy eggs. They don't like the runny egg. They'd rather hard boil than an inch of their lives that don't require a cup. You just peel the bugger. One user exclaimed, the only eggs we commonly eat are hard boiled and sliced like on a salad or scrambled omelets. Poached eggs are common for eggs benedict, though. Americans order fried eggs um, over easy and they dip their egg in the runny yolk. I've never seen an American dip an egg in a runny yolk. I mean, what's the moral of the story? Uh, but, you know, to eat hard boiled eggs, I am not going to eat the hard boiled egg. I want my eggs runny. I want to dip my soldiers in the egg. What is it? Why do they not like the runny egg? I need to know this. This is this is a this is a uh, an absolute abomination. It's a curiosity. It's a mystery. Why the why the, the runny egg is like one of the greatest creations on earth. I mean, you don't have a hard boiled Mavis Rancheros, do you? You don't have the eggs like they have to be runny. So the, so the Mexican chaps and chapesses eat runny eggs, but the Americans don't like it. And the smell of a hard-boiled egg, I mean, it turns my stomach. I'm sorry. I mean, even with a, even, um, even with uh, one of my favourite dishes of all, the Scotch egg, I like the egg yolks a little bit runny in the Scotch egg. I mean, it's absolutely fantastic that way. Oh, I'm aboard. No runny eggs in America. So we need to discover a new way of arguing. Uh, this is a piece by Ian Martin in the Times. The new book shows how disagreements can be healthy and offers us a toolkit for avoiding the tribalism of social media. There are a few better examples of how not to handle a sensitive situation involving heavy-armed police with what went wrong in Waco, Texas. The cult leader Koresh and his followed Davidians, who believed him to be a prophet at the end of time, were holed up in a ranch. Fearing the group were stockpiling weapons, a Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms agents attempted an arrest. Officers were killed and the compound was put in siege by the FBI. An early missed opportunity to defuse this uh, situation was missed. A negotiator who established a rapport with some of those in the compound, according to the transcripts, but after several weeks, the storming was ordered. By the end of 76, uh, the cult members were dead and, and 20 more children. So why? According to the writer Ian Leslie, there was a cultural mismatch between the negotiators and the Davidians. They had such contrasting assumptions about each other's motive they could not even communicate. When the FBI offered to send in milk to return for the release of children, the Davidians thought they were being inhumane. The FBI officers believed themselves to be the rational ones exercising their bargaining power. The result was a cycle of escalation. Waker's just one strand of Leslie's essential new book conflicted a history of argument that looks at why we do it and why disagreement can be healthy. Nowhere are ferocious arguments and miscommunication more apparent on social media. And while not Leslie's main focus of interest, it's the area where most of his findings and recommendations are most immediately relevant. 50 million Britons uh, and many, many more Americans on Twitter. There's 50 million Facebook accounts registered around the country. Even most users are passive. The culture of high-octane disagreement has created the increasingly frenetic climate in which mass broadcasters operate short gotcha clips that can go viral on smartphones. The digital mindset is ubiquitous. I mean, it's absolutely uh, 
scary, especially what's happened in the election. Leslie proposed an emergency toolkit for productive arguments. Stop trying to be right all the time, he said. Be sceptical of your own tribe. Acknowledge expertise by encourage positive arguments. Learn how to lose an argument with grace. Don't say you. It annoys people. And don't tell others how to think or feel. Look for constructive areas of argument, he urges, even though it won't always happen. That's the prize and it's worth striving for. I mean, talking of arguments, that's basically uh, Trump or trombone. Some of the most awful headlines of the week, equating it to a Trump or indeed a trombone. And the first on the Oki here, we have uh, women left looking like Barney the dinosaur after the hair dye job goes wrong. She was left with purple skin and the product accidentally turned her entire body to a different color of purple during this hair raising uh, process here. Um, that hair bomb disaster, though, looks like the sort of atrocious asteroid which would have wiped out Barney, hitting uh, hitting uh, the Pucadon Peninsula instead of the Yucatan Peninsula. And demonic cat looks so creepy, an exorcist urged his owner to cage him and pray. The cat that's been dubbed the creepiest ever has garnered thousands of followers on social media, despite his demonic uh, demonic appearance. I mean, that's what happens when you feed the cat dollar store cat food. And that too. Job Hunter disguises his CV in a bid to get noticed, but other brand it creepy. A job acclimate found his way to stand out from the crowd by hand-delivering his CD, CV hidden in a box of food for the office. But people were divided whether his tactic would indeed work. I mean, applying for a job can be a disheartening process. It often feels you need to stand out amongst the hordes of other applicants. But one man found a creative way to ensure his CV gained attention in the office after he pretended to be a delivery man to drop off his application hidden inside a box of donuts. I mean, would you even believe it? I guess uh, always be closing, but it takes it to another level when you replace the custard in your donut with a CV. I hope he was indeed practicing donut diversity, though. Some with holes, uh, some without. I mean, some may even prefer a very large bear claw. And a woman's life is a lie after realising cream she always buys in the supermarket isn't what he thought. It was fake cream. TikTok user Sarah Abdul has gone viral on the social media platform after sharing her recent discovery about a product she often buys in the supermarket. Um, thousands of people liked the video uh, and she, uh, it's, she said that inside the uh, pot, pot of the whipped cream it's an alternative to cream. It's actually a blend of buttermilk and vegetables. I'm so shocked. I mean, it's a case of she couldn't believe it wasn't cream. Uh, but if she shook it for long enough, it could turn into butter. And your dog can now be paid $100 a month to be a, a pet food critic and has how to apply. Dogs who suffer from the regular flatulence, bad hair days, bad breath, large poops and laziness are encouraged to apply. But do you think your dog is the right candidate to be paid to taste food? I mean, dogs would be the worst food critic because they eat literally almost anything. They have a good nose, but a palate that doesn't discriminate. Oh, a fine eye, appealing colour, green colour, and a fragrant piquancy. That's goose poop. Hmm, a fine oaky aged taste and a crisp bite. That's the front door. And a woman notices that a photo has been bumped from her mum's display and the response is brutal. A woman named Rachel asked her mother why there wasn't a photo of her amongst all of her family pictures and the parents' response was absolutely hilarious. Her mum then came over and picks up a frame from the back of the cabinet that was tucked behind another picture. I mean, it was a case of family misfortunes. She's a black sheep and didn't know it. 
And eBay sellers are listing rare plastic McDonald's straws for about as £5,000. Hopefully eBay users are attempting to flog their own old plastic McDonald's straws for thousands of pounds after one listing even had three bids despite the shocking price tag. It will be even rarer. It will be icebergs in the Antarctic and people living in their houses without soggy bottoms. Never really understood the point of straws. And Brit's terrifying encounter with Bigfoot in the UK park uh, bushes that changed the course of her life. Deborah Hatswell screamed when a beast she believes was Bigfoot crawled out of the bushes in a park in Salford, chilling as she's not the only one to spot the creature in the same place. What she ultimately realised later was that manscaping was overrated and the beastly hairy back was godlike. Little did she know, though, that he was a customer of the European Wax Centre. And we didn't finish with this lovely story. So Alps rescued dog and Lee's hiker with broken ankle alive for seven days. A man survived seven nights in freezing temperatures in the foothills of the Alps by covering himself in leaves and a map and clinging to his dog for warmth. Uh, Michelle Benader has set out on a four-day solo hike in Val Vanassa in South uh, East Italy when he fell, suffering multiple injuries, including a broken ankle. His girlfriend raised the alarm when he failed to return on Monday and rescuers found him close to the mountain refuge. His life was also saved by a reflective thermal blanket that was spotted from a rescue helicopter around 100 metres from where he was lying. He used a branch as a crutch in an unsuccessful attempt to reach the stream. He was suffering from dehydration and hypothermia and was in a serious condition. Benadar has uh, decided to spend some time on his own after his mother's death. He was well equipped but had become separated from his rucksack. Uh, Borosselli said he had lucky to escape the death at an altitude of 700 metres. He had been slipping in and out of consciousness, and it was a matter of willpower and physique. The dog, Ash, a black and brown mongrel more than 10 years old, stayed with Benedette throughout the initially sought to, to be driven off by rescuers. Borosselli said his devotion and probably contribution to saving his owner's life. He didn't leave him for a moment. What a lovely story. Man's best friend, holding on to his owner through the icy cold nights, keeping him alive. Well, we've had a packed podcast. We haven't had uh, enough time to uh, to talk about some of the other elements here, uh, such as um, the reintroduction of, um, of zits to a Pinocchio nose, uh, the baby playpen for the recovering corgi, the breakfast beard, fly spray that doesn't work, the hatred of pickle by Americans as well, the love of the burger, and I don't see the big deal about burgers by Americans, uh, corky butts look like deers, Wi-Fi kettles, and the and the phrase that English people are all saying. We're going to have this on probably next week's podcast. We have a lot of material to to get through the podcast. But thanks very much for listening to the show today. It's been lovely to have you here. It's a beautiful sunny day here in Colorado. So I hope you have a, a marvelous rest of the weekend. At Keep Cheese on Twitter, Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese on Instagram. Like and subscribe on all the platforms, Spotify, Apple Music, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, uh, Pandora, all of them. They're all across, uh, all across the world. You can, get, uh, you can hear Chappie and keep calm and cauliflower cheese. Um, but, uh, so marvellous times ahead. And we finish with a little poem bringing in March. A beautiful March day in autumn. The sun shining bright in the clear sky. The silver-billed magpie is piping and white butterflies in the park fly. The magpie larks searching for slugs and insects from time to call out to peewee, familiar in the song and habits and birds that one often does see. 
Such a scene a poet would find inspiring if such a beauty poem would write, a poem that would live for many decades and a reciter would be feel glad to recite. Such beauty that is born of nature, with it there is nothing to compete. The birds they are chirping and singing on the trees in the park by the street. The natural world fascinating such a joy to me nature does bring. The ways and workings of an earth mother such a remarkable thing. Our nature's goddess lives her life, forms all have to die. The fate of the humble earthworm, the same fate for you and I. A beautiful March day in autumn, and everywhere breezy and bright, and white butterflies flying the parkland, they make a beautiful sight. Thanks for listening to the podcast. This week we'll be back again on Friday. All right, you lovelies, a cheerio for now.